It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seabock.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gatherings of IOs, HRs, OCs, recruiters, and one actor, as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, Linda Ann, you're going to be leading our discussion today, and we're going to be talking about something that is quite current. And, you know, we had a little discussion earlier about, you know, trying to access articles. I'm not sure there's even a lot of articles out there, but there's a lot of conversation. So we're going to be talking about design thinking and talent acquisition crafting memorable candidate journeys. Um, And here we are discussing recruitment while at the same time AI has stepped in. A lot of organizations are using AI technology for recruitment right now. And if anything, the technology has been shown to be maybe not ready for prime time. You you might not be getting the best candidates if you use those AI systems. So when we start talking about actually crafting it, Instead of just, you know, putting a notice that we're looking for somebody and then going through resumes, how do we make this better so that, you know, not only for the organization, are they going to find the best candidate possible, but that the person who is going to be the employee actually has a journey that makes them feel like they want to actually work for the organization. Right. And that's when I looked at the design thinking and and looked at the elements of it, you know, and that design thinking has five primary elements to it. It's um, empathize, define, ideate, prototype, and test. And the thing that struck me the most on that was the empathize. And that's where I think that this creates a differential between what has been developed as many uh, candidate journeys where they have been developed from how do we do that internally and what's our process versus what process is the candidate or are the candidates uh, and the candidate pool, current pool, looking for 
in that journey and what's important to them. And so that's a major shift in my mind um, of how organizations in general, whether it's through HR or using an IO or any other person in the organization, is really looking at what is important to the candidate in their experience. And so what I thought maybe we could start off with um, to get some people um, participating here and sharing with us, and you can do it, you know, maybe a quick raise your hand, 30 seconds, and give us your best candidate journey that you've experienced. Um, and then we can say why, why you thought it was a great experience and did it have that piece of empathy where they really considered what your needs were in the process of becoming a candidate for that organization. Well, while people are thinking, do we need to have a little history about, you know, how we have recruited for organizations, you know, over the, the past 50 years? Um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough that I can remember that, you know, locally, if a factory wanted to hire people, they put a billboard, you know, <laughs> by their main entrance. And that was basically all they did. Um, but even the idea of having empathy for a potential employee, you know, there is that mindset out there where, why do I need to have empathy? I'm offering you money, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, that's where still a lot of organizations are. So I'll let you think about that because we do have a few hands up. So, oh, yes, go ahead, Linda. I was going to say money isn't the primary driver at all anymore, right? Money is a housekeeping item. You should be prepared, whatever that organization is, if they need you, they should be prepared uh, to offer industry rate. So it's not wherever they go, it should be a comparable amount, right? You know, Linda Van, if I was a professional athlete, I would hire you as my agent. Um, (laughs) Nick, let's go to you. Um, for me, this is a topic that I've had a lot of experience with um, after graduating and looking for roles for over a year um, and having plenty of candidate experiences uh, that were not great um, because you you talk about the billboard for the factory in town or mailing your resume to a company and getting a correspondence. The Internet both fixed it and damaged hiring exponentially because it's so easy to put in an application online. It's so easy to just put a job ad out on a job board and you're going to get flooded and inundated with all sorts of responses. And while my heart does go out to those recruiters who have to sift through hundreds, thousands or more resumes, they've lost sight that they're dealing with people um, to to some degree or another. And as we've built these AI systems that are supposed to streamline the efficiency of the process, we've further stripped out some of the humanity. Um, And I know when I was looking for a role, there was always this, this weird balance of, well, what does this organization owe me as, you know, Johnny on the street, you know, looking to come in, you know, and just the, the dynamic shifts between what they have to offer and what they're obligated to for, for candidates. Um, You would hope that, People would be kind and just and remember that somebody looking for a job is in a very vulnerable position. Um, But from the organization standpoint, they have a seat that needs filling and they're going to find the right person to fill it one way or another. Um, And so the idea that design thinking first involved empathy uh, is fantastic because you do get those genuinely crafted emails that, you know, it's a forum email, but at least the messaging is there. Like we know, you know, we know you're looking, we'd love to look at everybody, but we are overloaded with it. Um, And so, yeah, just thinking of how do you design that experience, taking into consideration how much time does the organization want to spend in a process they probably already don't want to be in if they're recruiting. 
um, because they just want the status quo and people in seats. Um, how do they take that that next step and think about the candidate uh, again, remembering that this is part of their marketing as well? You know how you interact with candidates speaks to your brand, speaks to culture, speaks to, to everything. I mean, I I've had several brands or organizations that I will just kind of, you know, eschew if I can because of of the way I felt like I was treated in an application process. And, and, you know, I think in a perfect world, empathy would be great, but I haven't experienced it myself a lot in job interviews. It's usually we have something you want to prove yourself, you know, and, and I can't see a lot of empathy, in that, but I would love to. Um, Matthew, let's go to you. There we go. Got to love technology sometimes. So design thinking, it, it's a human centered problem solving approach. And when we look at talent acquisition, design thinking begins with empathy, as both Nick and Linda Ann said, look back just a few years, we had the great resignation, quiet quitting, calling it in whatever you whatever catchy phrase was popular for the for those few months. It was symbolic and representative of something much larger. There was a shift in the way that the employee and employer relationship was was perceived and was approached. Employees, people said, I don't want to work for this type of organization anymore for whatever reason it might be. And when you look at talent acquisition from the from the organization standpoint, practitioners in talent acquisition, I challenge you, put yourself in the shoes of the candidate to get a to try and gain a deeper understanding of their motivations, their challenges, their aspirations. Why did they leave their last job? Why are they looking at you? Interviews are a two-way street. If they're if you offer them an interview and, and they come to meet with you, they should be interviewing you just as you're interviewing them. You're seeing if they're a good fit for your organization. They're going to be interviewing you to see if you're a good fit for them. Let's take it one step. Let's think about one other thing. Why are you as an organization hiring? Are you growing or are you trying to replace people who left? And if you're trying to replace people who left, again, I go back to empathy. Think about what those candidates who used to be employees somewhere else, why did they leave? What is their motivation and their challenge and their aspiration? And when you when you bring that into the conversation, that design thinking, all of a sudden it changes the approach that you have to talent acquisition. You're right. It used to be, hey, we have a, we have a billboard up. We have a sign. We are offering money. Come work for us. But that power dynamic has shifted. And and as it continues to shift and find its new balance, defining the problem and and understanding the other side, recognizing there's pieces that you don't know yet and and approaching that that interaction, that engagement with empathy allows for a better, more engaged and more beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship. I'm going to push back a little bit, uh, Matthew, because while I agree with you 100 percent, you know. What I've seen over the last few years is is that as we emerged from you know the pandemic and the lockdown, organizations were desperately in need of employees, and they were willing to do things like accept remote or hybrid work forms. But then as soon as that started to change a little bit, and all of a sudden there were more potential employees than positions, organizations were very quick to go, yeah, remote work is over. You are now back in the office and start to make those types of demands again. So while I think it's great that we talk about empathy and how we need it in work, what I'm seeing from businesses is empathy does not help my bottom line. Therefore, we do not practice empathy. So, so what would you respond to with that? I would I would actually push back a little as well and say it 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 does. If you look at it long term, if you I'm not saying that you have to let the pendulum swing completely to one side of the power dynamic or the other. It's going to, to to move back and forth. But by including that in, by including that employee experience or that potential employee experience, the talent experience, 
you you enable your organization, you empower your organization to have retention and attraction. All of a sudden, you're going to be flooded with people saying, I want to work for them. I want to be a part of that team. And once they're hired, once they're a part of that, they're not going anywhere. So your problem of retention is is gone or is diminished or is lowered. That is something where here's why it is actually in your financial interest to at least acknowledge or include that into the conversation. You don't have to go full swing and give them everything that they want that anybody wants. That's that's not how a uh, an interest based conflict resolution comes comes to fruition. Mutually beneficial means hey, we can both come to the conversation and say, here's what I want, here's what you want. Let me understand a little bit more, and can we find something in the middle? And when employers and ta- and uh, practitioners and talent acquisition approach that conversation with that mindset, they empower that organization for long-term sustainable growth and success. Well, <laughs> thank you for pushing back. Uh, it was a good push. Uh, Linda, and let me go to you too, because though I saw you shaking your head, um, uh, but also, you know, how, how, what Matthew was saying is absolutely right, but I'm not sure that message is getting through to you know, the C-suite. Well, yeah, because I don't think that they're experiencing some of the challenges uh, head for you know personally those kinds of things you know. So when we talk about design thinking, um, I, I was remiss in providing that definition. Thank you, Matthew, for for doing some of that. Um, it's a nonlinear iterative process. So people need to be give grace and be patient with developing an iterative process to begin with, right? Because things are changing. And there was even an article or the headline that I heard reported from the Wall Street Journal that, you know, was calling something the great stay where where they're saying that employees are not leaving um, places anymore. And, And some companies are finding that to be an issue because uh, they had their systems were based on a certain amount of turnover, right? And I'm thinking, this is just ridiculous in that we've spent the last three years working to have employee engagement and reduce retention. And now they're they're sensationalizing that success as a problem, right? So I just thought that that was an interesting take on things. But um it asks that you challenge assumptions and redefine the problems and then create innovative solutions. The difference between design thinking and innovation is innovation is a new idea where design thinking addresses current problems, which is similar in some ways to Six Sigma and Agile Lean Thinking, where they have you know, a defined um, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And it's a very similar process to go through in addressing problems. So some people might have a familiarity with this kind of design thinking on some level if they're familiar with those um, uh, protocols or processes. Um, But to piggyback on what Matthew was saying, when you look at the employee or the candidate experience now and they apply through a portal, the experience is um, depressing. I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) So they are looking at convenience for themselves and not what the user is experiencing as they spend an hour maybe to get it into the portal. They have to copy everything from their resume into the little fields that because it doesn't really upload properly. And um, (laughs) Nick's Nick's having a... um, 
an empathy attack over here about <laughs> that experience. Um, and the, the problem that that's causing for the organization that I don't really under, think they understand the source of is they're saying, well, we're not getting the right candidates. It's a it's a bastion of we're, uh, qualified people. And, and if you look at why you're not getting them, it's because you're not looking at that a resume and you're being you have this wall that's not functioning properly to get you what you want and so i think if we look at some design thinking to address that issue i think that would go a long way in um solving the problem on both sides and just to just speak to for a minute to the empathy piece you know even when I, when i was doing recruiting if we had somebody who was um, we decided to make an offer and it was like Thursday or Friday of the week. I always made sure that offer went out before the weekend because it it makes a difference to how they how excited they are because they're like waiting to hear and it's the weekend and they're wondering. I always made sure that it went out before the end of the week to get them that information. Um, you know, I'm going to be the contrarian today uh, because, you know, I love what I'm hearing from all the people who are speaking today. But how do we get that message across when there are very successful organizations, you know, one in particular who, you know, sells us stuff and then delivers it to our front door, and they have no problem with letting people go and replacing them. They've got a list of people who want to work for them. And, you know, if they lose a thousand employees today, they can recruit a thousand tomorrow. So, you know, how do we get the message to those big organizations who are ignoring all this because they're profitable. Well, you can't do anything for someone until they feel a need, right? right. You can't, you're not going to change behavior most likely until they understand a need. That's my my experience, my opinion. You can't take everybody along with us on the journey. We're going to leave some people. <laughs> Darn. All right, Nick, let's go to you. I, you. I was definitely feeling a lot of what Linda Ann had to say, you know, upload your resume and then input the same information again it's like well why are you wasting my time already um and things like that and some of that is system limitations and again i'm trying to exercise empathy for the other side um you know the recruiter on the other end of that portal is dealing with just a tidal wave of information and they probably don't understand the job that they're hiring for they've just been given several keywords that they're trying to hunt through and that's why this this becomes so important in some of these applicant tracking systems is that you have to to speak the right language or know the right person to get it past the robots even uh to maybe get to that recruiter who may have a general idea about it and then probably dealing with the hiring manager who may or may not know what they actually need or they're just copy and pasting the job description from from several years ago um, to your point about large organizations who can just, because they have brand recognition, because they have kind of the pull, they'll they'll come along when the, the mid and small businesses outpace them by doing these things. Because I think a lot of what we talk about when we're thinking about design thinking and being iterative is being nimble enough to adjust to changing situations. The great resignation was the change. The great, you know, quitting, all of these phases that they love to put titles on these are all things that the system's going to have to adapt to and so if you're constantly reviewing it and you're looking at it in light of what is the situation today and more importantly where do we want to be not at the end of the quarter but the end of the year the end of the decade the end of the millennium you know start taking that that longer view um you may be able to you know cast that wider net and start changing the tide and i don't think it's going to come from the top because you know the 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 multinational companies Somebody will do it just to get the credibility on their resume for having that company there. 
Um, you know, I compare it to kind of the, the real estate market in here in Denver. People were going, you know, appraisal gaps and all this. And, you know, people who were being reasonable couldn't get there because there's somebody willing to do it. And I don't know if there's a point in this process where society at large says we have enough. And as much as I continually push back the idea that generational lines are a little bit silly, the idea that, you know, people who have experienced work in a different way are now coming into leadership and there's going to be some turnover from, you know, boomers, Gen X, and even elder millennials, you know, later in their career. And now we've got some of this groundswell coming up from underneath. It's not that it's that much different. It's just a different voice and a different how you work and what we're willing to put up with. So a brave new world is coming. We just have to wait for a little longer. And all you IOs, you need to get out and get into those small and medium-sized companies and start changing the world there. Uh, Richard, let's go to you. Well, um, I was just going to say that I have had some really good um, experiences, you know, firsthand experiences with, throughout the um, selection process, you know, where particularly with a, a couple of companies that subscribe to certain, um, I don't want to put it like methodologies of, of running their business, right? Specifically, like some smaller businesses that run on um, the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS, uh, if anybody's ever heard of that. But some of those where they're they're gathering inputs from other departments and they're so it's it's a collaborative process to design how their selection and acquisition happens so you know it's not just it's not just hr designing this you know they're getting inputs from the other departments you know and and uh sherman syop put out a white paper a while ago about um some of that that type of you know um collaborative process on on job analysis but then um, beyond that, um, there are toolkits and and uh, using you know different assessments and how the interview process happens and all that stuff beyond the ATS, right? I mean, yeah, that that the ATS is going to be <laughs> that's that's the first step, right? I mean, that's that's but the rest of the process also um, you know needs work and uh, you know so a lot of that comes with um, with some training also cross departmentally right so for instance like uh when a company uses uh, a a certain um uh, assessment word association assessment you might know what i'm talking about out there if you've gone through it but uh um it's a valid and reliable instrument it's great but when uh the people who aren't trained on it use scores as cut scores or as um you know match scores incorrectly um attitudes change people are like well i think this i thought this guy was a good fit but then look at this you know or i, or I thought that uh that this person um would have would have really fit the bill but you know um i miss maybe i misunderstood something you know so i think there's a certain degree of training that has to happen with the interviewers along the along the way too um across all the departments you know so um and i think we've we may have all of read that in our textbooks <laughs> in our textbooks right so you know uh and it just doesn't happen right i mean oftentimes you know i know i've been in a situation where it's like well i want you to go interview this person what am i you know i don't know anything about your department like why am i doing that you know uh and, and i don't want to go in cold you know and and that but that happens quite often in in in, in my experience where you come in and you talk to somebody and they're like well, I know that you talk to XYZ person, but I don't really know what we're talking about. 
<laughs> you know, and there, yeah. there's a flaw that's that's a flaw that that could be easily remedied with um, a little bit of training, and a little better communication. Well, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder now if what we're really suffering from is a lack of knowledge because things are changing so quickly. And, you know, maybe it's time for all the great people on this panel to put your heads together and create that document, <laughs> you know, how you actually you know, get the talent that you're looking for. So I'm going to challenge you all on that. Uh, Matthew, let's go to you. So I, I'm really enjoying the conversation here. And Tom, I want to go back to your your point or your question. You know, big companies will pull uh, or, or they'll lose a thousand people and then they'll gain a thousand. I know you're a uh, a movie and film buff, so I'm going to throw in a movie quote here. With great power comes great responsibility. So let's look at their story. Let's look at those that those organizations. Uh, how did they get big? Well, they saw a need. They saw customers' motivation, challenges, aspirations. They designed a system to address that problem. But if they don't continue to adapt, they will lose that bigness to those that are adapting. So from the talent acquisition side, it may not be right away, but it could happen if their organization's design is not continuously involving and adapting to what people, whether it's customers or current or future talent, if they're not adjusting or adapting to what the talent industry, what the what the talent acquisition people are saying and wanting, then they're going to lose that bigness to those that are continuing to evolve and adapt and take into consideration. Going back to the empathy piece, the empathy is not, it's not a, an all, um, all-inclusive solution. That's just the foundation. Once you, once you acknowledge and incorporate that into the thinking process, into that design thinking process, you can then start to define the problem and generate a wide range of ideas and, and potential solutions. You can then start to test those and say, well, let's, let's try this. This is what we hear or what we have heard as we get to know a little bit more about things that that we didn't pay attention to. Now that we're listening to that talent, that talent group, maybe we try this. Well, nope, that did not work. Let's let's back up and try it a different way. And you can do the prototypes and you can you can test it and get the feedback and continue to to change and adapt your design to meet the needs of, in this case, your your current and future talent. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> there's a lot of responsibility on leadership. And and do we have a leadership report card? Like, is there a scorecard for leadership and Linda Ann is shaking her head. So I think she's go ahead. Yes, I do see Linda Ann shaking her head and I and I will definitely pass the baton to her. She this is an area of her expertise, but I will say there's a lot of different things that we can use as as leader scorecards. Um one of my go-to resources to tell a lot of people or to share with a lot of people is is sites like Glassdoor where employees are able to go in and and talk about what was their experience? What is their engagement? What is their culture? What was their responsibility? There's even a spot that says, how was the interview process? So if you're looking at a company and you're going, I think I want to work for them. And you go onto that site and you look at that and you, you see everyone's response. Wow. It took them five months to get back to me and say that we have six rounds of interviews. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't have, I, I I have other opportunities or whatever the case may be. But yeah, there's a number of, of different metrics you can use as scorecards, but I'd love to hear what Linda Ann has to say. Me too. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Well, one of my favorite tools is that through Kuzmas and Posner, they have um, a 360 uh, leadership evaluation that's, in my opinion, very well done. Um, and it gives the it gives rating systems, it gives areas for comment, it gives a full um report on all kinds of categories that leaders can really look at and see where they're strong, where their where their feedback is, 
that's that's not being successful. And I I think it's a good tool. Now, some people will say it's a little extensive, but um, you can cull it down a little bit. But that's I think that's a it's a really good tool. But there's lots of them out there. There really are. Do, do you feel that even though there's lots of them, is there a percentage? Maybe we don't have the exact numbers, but how many organizations are actually using those tools? And as sometimes I've heard Jeremy say, you know, does leadership really want to hear that they're the problem if they're, they're the problem? No, usually they don't. Um, that's my my experience, you know, <laughs> and it's a little bit of the emperor's got no clothes kind of syndrome. Right. Um, but but that's a that's a whole nother conversation. But back to <laughs> back to the um, the element of the candidate's journey. Uh, and and what they're experiencing. One of the things that in one company that I worked um, for, one of the requirements listed on the website of to if you want to apply for us, go ahead and um, contact one of our current employees and meet them for you know a coffee, a drink, or whatever, and talk to them first before you even apply to get an idea of what it's like to work here. See if that's a good fit for you because they know the inside. Right. And they know who you'd be reporting to all those kinds of things. And so that's one way to really extend that empathetic hand so that you understand what kind of an organization you are really getting into before you ever decide to apply. So that's that's one thing, you know, and then when you're looking at the candidate's experience, I think it's important to give them that peek in the door of what it's like when you get here. You know, one of the companies that I'm working with right now, we're developing um, their training program for when you get a new employee, how are we making them, making sure they get a consistent, solid training so that when I go ahead and work with you, you have had the appropriate training, but how are we making that really good process? And that will differentiate that organization because the ultimate goal is to make sure people are coming to them and they don't have to go out and find people because it's an ideal company to work for. But I think it's really important to think about um, giving them an idea of what it's like when when they come in and work. And one of the things I did in HR um, was always within that first week or two weeks, within the first month, I'd always say, how's it going? And is this what you expected? Yeah, you really want to know if they feel bait and switched, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I bet a lot of people do. Um, thank you very much for that and for getting us back on topic. Uh, and Manny, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. So um, design thinking. I just wanted to give an example. First of all, I'm so good. I love examples. So uh, <laughs> there is a saying, a narrative that I learned from exactly where I come from in Africa, that when you're annoyed or when anything is going on, put water in your mouth. And there's a lesson that we learned from that. So if you put water in your mouth and you're so annoyed with me, I want you to start arguing or saying bad words or anything back to me with that water in your mouth. So when you're doing it, when you have water in your mouth, you will understand it's going to choke you first before you hurt me. The water is going to choke you first before you hurt me. So you will learn how to keep quiet to not hurt me in a way. It gives us the patience and gives us that whole, the whole pausing, um, the whole pausing window so that you can rethink reevaluate, and also gives us to have the self-control. So now I'm speaking from the, from the, um, 
emotional intelligence scale. You know, it gives us the patience. It gives us um, the self-control and it gives you, you simply cannot add you back with somebody if you have what in your mouth. So you reflect before I do that, I'm going to put my, you put yourself in the whole picture that I'll be hurting me. So coming back to the organization, this is what I mean. So when organizations are using design thinking in their hiring, you know, when they make a, when they make an, um, a candidate centered hiring process, it helps them. I feel like if if time, money, and legalities is one of their priorities in the, as an organization, it should be in their best interest. Especially when it comes to when it comes to empathy, you know, empathy is simply putting yourself in another in another person's you know shoes. So if, in a situation when you're hiring, you've done your research, you've come out, you're like, okay, these are some of the ways that can really help us to bring top notch candidates in the, in the organization. So in a situation when you're hiring, when you just come up and just you know, break the ice. Oh, you look nervous. When you say what the what the candidate is going through, break their nervousness and then be like, oh, they understand that I'm nervous. You know, you break the ice and then you kind of now start evaluating them on a whole, you know, relatable kind of scale with the candidate. You're kind of like breaking all the nervousness. You break away the nervousness of this candidate. They relax and then it brings the best out of them. When you kind of doing the whole hiring process or when you're going into the whole, you know, interviewing process. When you kind of like put yourself in a condensed shoes and then be like, uh, use a language that is relatable and then also um, be inclusive when in the hiring process. If you kind of do your research and stuff and you're like, you know what, and I'm speaking from the empathy kind of point of view, you understand that this candidate is nervous, you're going to break the ice, Speak in a relatable human in a relatable human way. Find questions that are gonna be or even kind of like break down from the jargon kind of like point of view in terms of your questions, so that the the candidate can be able to understand your, your the questions that you're asking them, and then also being inclusive in the whole hiring process. And when I say inclusiveness, is understanding that you're gonna get diverse kind of people onto on board, and then coming up with a whole process of saying, okay, we're going to have, in fact, to also control biasness in your hiring process. You're like, we're going to have um, more than one person interviewing this candidate. So me going through all this, you being that mindful and me going through all this uh, process of having different people interview me, I'm more confident that um, I'm having this, the best is being ruled out that there's going to be different people. If I know I haven't done well with person A, at least person, and I have a good time with how person B, C relates with me, at least it will bring the best out of me as your candidate in terms of your hiring process. And what this does, it helps in, you know, it cuts back on time in how many people you're going to go through because you will get your first best candidates on, on your first try, you know, with them. It will also, when you cut back on time, you're cutting back on your money. And then also in terms of legalities, it rules out, it rules out biasness, you know. If you kind of like have one, um, let's say you're having one person kind of like um, in your hiring process as an organization, you're not using the design thinking, you don't want to research, you don't want to find out which kind, what kind of um, things you could change in your hiring process. You don't want to, you know, be considering these whole things. People talk. So if I, as a candidate, I was a candidate, I was a can, um, I was an, I was a candidate coming to, oh, I was an applicant, sorry, coming to your organization. 
And then I'm going to tell somebody else who I know in my circle, you know what, when you go to that organization, there's this usual person. They're not so good at how they interview. Then another person will tell another person. So you're losing out as an organization because of how much you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to implement design thinking within organization to do, to be empathetic enough in terms of considering the candidates and then to also do your research and find out what is it that we can do more in our in our in our um, hiring process so we can have the you know the best candidates coming on board so i feel like when i getting back to the first example when i was talking to you i feel like when organizations are trying this whole uh hiring process design thinking works in their best interest like when i was giving an example of you know water in your mouth you don't want to choke so it works for your best interest as an organization in terms of time money and then also legalities when driving our biases within organization well you know man you 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 hit on a lot of great points there and i i think if nothing else it highlights how important recruiting is how much you need to know how much how much you know scope you need and i and i often wonder if organizations really understand the importance of quality recruiting um i think for a lot of organizations it's like a lottery you know you hope to win um, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, there's a ton to to go over again. You know, if we're thinking about the candidate experience, it's always easier to think about the, the positive outcome. And Amani hit on the idea of legalities, and I think why there's so much silence in the hiring process is a due to recruiter overload, and b because they don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, we're not considering your candidacy because of this. You know. It's one of those things where how much hot water do you want to get yourself into or how exposed do you want to be for somebody you don't know off the street? So I think that if we're we're talking about design thinking, um, I, I do enjoy the term and the idea because it is it's an active process. It's an iterative process. It's it's putting effort and thought into into something that is, as you say, Tom, very, very crucial to the organization. And one of the things you have to think about is how do you say no? How do you say no? Thank you. And I think that's something that is tough for a lot of organizations because they are opening themselves up to some, some potential scrutiny by doing that. Instead of just saying your candidacy is no longer under consideration and leaving it at that, they're saying the 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 bare minimum uh, that they they have to, and even they don't have to. Usually, people take a clue after they don't hear from somebody for you know three four weeks to a month. Um, but yeah, just designing all aspects of it. Um, I know for me, when I was recruiting, I would see the same name come up for similar positions. And I just, I didn't, I broke my heart because I'm like, you don't have it. Like you don't have what they need. I can't put you there. Um, but his application would come through and he was always on the phone and tell me about this. Is it different? Is it then? No, it's the same rec you applied to six months ago. And we were told, no, thank you. Um, so just kind of that how transparent do organizations want to be in the process? Um, because you do open yourself up for for certain risks because not everybody assumes positive intent. Uh, and if somebody feels very strongly about pursuing legal action, they will probably do so, whether it's a waste of time for them or not. Um, but yeah, I think that that does speak to the, the character of an organization, um, which is a weird thing to, to think about. Um, because we oftentimes put too much humanity into organizations because they're built out of humans. Um, but I think with the, the structures and the organizations, you do get some disconnects between the C-suite and the recruiter down in the office. And it's it's hard to see 
but you know, a, a stitch in time saves nine sort of idea that if you're doing quality recruiting, you're getting the right people in the right places. And can you measure the organizational impact of having the top salesman who nobody wants to talk to because he just steamrolls and, and all of that? And that that pill of a personality pushes several other people out. It's it's those ripples that you can't trace to the bottom line, that these are the higher order functions that you can see, you can feel, but can you put numbers and metrics to it to show on paper what it looks like? You know, one of the things I appreciate so much about WorkCookie is we're having those conversations that organizations need to be having, and and often we're doing them before it's even on their radar. Um, Dr. Danielle Hicks, welcome to WorkCookie. If you want to unmute your mic and join us, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Hi, Tom. Thank you. My experience is more in talent development rather than talent acquisition. And without having read this article on design thinking, I think my comment here is more around number three, ID8, and so generating a range of possible solutions. And so my thought process here is, you know, a lot of companies that I consult, when they come to me and want to talk about talent acquisition, sometimes it's because they recognize that they've been looking at people more for their skills and not so much looking at the human. And so maybe they need to change their process. And um, and so I have more conversations with them around that. Uh, and you know, the saying of let's get the right people on the bus and then figure out how to put them in the right seat, right? So my a question I have for my peers here who maybe have more experience in talent acquisition than I do is how many companies are doing this now where they are looking for the solution of, you know what, I see a lot of potential in this person. I want to get them on the bus and then let's figure out how to develop them into what we need them to do for us. Like maybe they don't come with a hundred percent of what we're looking for. How many companies are still problem solving in that way versus, you know what, I've got a hundred people behind this person who one of them might be the perfect one that comes with a hundred percent. I love it when IOs ask other IOs questions because <laughs> I learned so much. Uh, and that's a great question. Uh, I don't have the background, <laughs> so I'm sure someone else will pick it up. Um, Matthew, let's go to you. So I love those questions from Dr. Danielle. Um, the the I don't know the number of companies that are embracing that, but I, I can think of one actually that I have recently engaged with a little bit. And they had a very similar conversation a few months back where they said, why are we having so much difficulty getting the right people or or completing this talent acquisition process? They didn't use that phrase, that terminology, but that was what they were referring to. And they collectively um, came to the to the decision or to the idea of embracing. Let's look at finding, as you put it, get the right people on the bus and then figure out where that we're going to have them seated. Um, that's a, a great way to look at it. And really, it does bring it back to that, that human side. And, you know, as we're, as we're all talking, one of the other parts of design thinking that came to mind was um, looking, especially when organizations look at talent acquisition, that's collaboration throughout the organization. So talent acquisition doesn't just fall, have to fall, solely fall under HR. You know, some questions that I've asked different leaders that I've worked with in consulting is, um, what is your marketing team doing to promote your organization, to promote your culture, to promote the mission, or as Dr. Danielle put it, to promote getting on the bus? What is? How about your IT? We've talked, a number of people have talked today about that really frustrating experience online using the ATS systems, putting in your, your application, and then all of a sudden, I have to copy and paste every single piece and answer the question, well, then why do you want the 
the document if it's not you know if I have to type it in. Frustrating piece. So what is your IT department doing um, about addressing some of that frustration or that clunky system? How about your existing employees? What are they saying? Not just um, what are they saying on some of these public websites, but when they're out and about talking with friends and they hear somebody say, you know, I'm looking for a new job. I really don't like where I am. What are your existing employees saying? All of those pieces together would uh, collectively, they're all part of that organ- that design, that that talent design thinking that says, how are we collectively working together, collaborating for that, that combined um, intention of getting more people on the bus? Thank you very much for that. Linda, and let's go back to you. To follow up on what Dr. Danielle had to say, um, when you talk about the difference between hiring people for potential and versus what they've already done, there's a real gender gap there. And so it tends to be that um, males are hired for their potential. Women are hired for what their experience and what they've already done. And so there's a little bit of a, a and I, I was thinking about that process today as, as in preparation in this for the design thinking um, process as to where does that piece fit in, in that, in, in, resolving it through the design thinking that we can focus on more hiring for someone's potential and and how much they fit into the culture because someone's so many companies really care about how someone integrates into their culture and then really having them um, fit into the right place and one of the ways we used to do that um, I've done that before is is through the the evaluation process, whether that's at 90 days or a year or whatever, making sure that we're taking advantage of where they want to go, what their real skill set is, because you don't always find out that complete background skill set in the recruitment process. So I think that um, we have a long way to go in making sure that we hire people for their potential and how do we draw that out and utilize it best for both sides of the equation. Now, I just want to confirm that that's just male thinking that men are better with potential. Men have a lot more potential. Women have just as much, if not more potential, right? Or individually, it shouldn't really matter on gender. It should, well, it's just the what happens in the interview process. Right. So, right, if yeah. I, so if I'm an entrepreneur, there's a whole untapped market of, you know, female potential clients whose no one's looking at their potential. And I should really just hire women from now on. I think that's a great idea. I think so, too. <laughs> Alexander, welcome back. Let's go to you. Hey, guys. So I'm going to build up off of what I was talking comments since it seems it was on topic. Um, so landing pages are a huge part um, for our company. We try to partner with. Um, marketing firms who can develop really good landing pages. And we try to integrate that in with the IT side and the workplace psychology side. One of the big areas that we kind of see is a lot of people don't realize, but CPAs, um, certified tax people, I can't think of that acronym at the moment, clearly. Um, So it's actually largely just women now who are taking over that industry. And so there's a lot of ways that you can market to women. And Denver, where I used to work, um, dogs are everything for Denver. Um, (laughs) They will know that very well. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of ways to be able to market that to people who have disabilities, who need to have a dog there for stress and stuff, who have a harder time making employment. When a lot of companies already have these policies in place that you can bring your dogs, there's ways to market this and make 
applicants aware, you know, that they're going to be okay with those situations. And so I just haven't seen many companies actually do those marketings very well. They don't really tend to think as recruiting applicants as also marketing that they have to attract to those talented people. But that's all I was going to say. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and that's a really good point, you know, and it kind of echoes what Imani was saying earlier, where, you know, when I look at job applications, I don't see any, I see lots of, you know, applications come out where they're looking for diversity, but they're not really promoting that in the actual, you know, hiring ad. So, you know, I think you're right. We we have to do a lot better job of that because there's huge potential in those people. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. It's kind of, I got what Dr. Matt was saying that, you know, you talk about everybody's a recruiter. You know, if you have an eternal referral program, yeah, you might meet somebody on the street, you you know, the server at the restaurant, you may find out has a degree and, you know, there's all these um, fortuitous moments that could happen. Um, and you have to kind of plan to be able to take advantage of them. You can't plan and for them. Uh, but if you've got an organization where everybody views themselves as a recruiter, it just speaks to the idea that design thinking is a brilliant thing to put in for the candidate experience for recruitment. But it also has its tendrils into so many other parts of the organization that I think where people will say, well, I want you to solve my recruiting problem. And you're saying I need to look at my employee engagement, you know, numbers and things like that. And how by trying to solve one program or one one part of the business, you do have to examine all parts of it because it becomes kind of a total mindset and who you are as an organization. You know, we just hit on hiring is marketing marketing is marketing and you know all these all these things that are are very much connected um because if everything goes well you're going to hire this person into the organization and then they're going to have an impact on your culture moving forward and you know that may be a relinquishing of, of some of the control and some of the direction but the, the 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 way you change that mix through diversity or through hiring in general is is going to shape your culture moving forward and if it's not strong enough to you know withstand a few bad hires or a few good hires will shatter the foundation or perhaps your company culture uh, or the image you're trying to project wasn't really there in the first place. And most of your servers and waiters and waitresses do have degrees. So we have degrees in things like masters of performance. So we end up working as waiters. Uh, Linda, let's go to you. To, to respond to, to what Nick said, you know, when you solve the one problem, you often see something else down the line. It has, it's not an isolated solution, right? It has effect on other things. And um, it's kind of like the water balloon, you know, you squeeze the one end and it goes somewhere else. So it's important to um, be ready and, and have that part of your iterative process, right? So just like when we, when I mentioned earlier that um, the, there was a headline in, in the Wall Street Journal about, oh, one of the problems that people are having now is that employees are staying <laughs> um, and it's called the great stay. Well, you've been working to increase retention and employee engagement, and now you've done that. So now you have to evolve your iterative process and address those other things because it, you've actually solved a problem and you're and that process is becoming more mature, right? So it's not a problem. It's just part of the the process, and it's what your expectation was. Well, well, and let me ask you too, because if if an organization is going to take on, you know, design thinking for things like talent acquisition, even though it's going to benefit me in the long run with my organization, 
how long is that process going to take? Like how, if I'm going to, if I'm just recruiting right, right now where, you know, I post a job and I see who applies um, if I want. And then, you know, I sit down and interview them. If I like them, they got the job. Um, and if I don't, well, go work for somebody else. If I'm going to actually take my organization and construct this so that I actually have a plan and process that goes from looking for somebody all the way through the hiring process and then into onboarding, which most organizations don't do, I need some people to sit down and help me do that. I'm probably going to want to hire an IO or someone like yourself who has that background and knowledge. But is this a three-month process to get all my ducks in a row? Is it a six-month or is it a year? How long will this actually take? Because, you know, clock's ticking. Um, um, let me ask, say a couple of things and see if I'm on track for what you were looking for, right? So one of the things that I would do with um, the the hiring people in the organization is to have them give me an idea. And it sometimes it's hard when you've got projects that are, that are coming in the pipeline, right? And you don't know if you're going to hit on this project or this one's going to go on hold and, and things like that. But, you know, like come January, I would say to some of the hiring managers, are you going to need somebody in June or, or July or August? Because if you wanted a new, uh, a new grad, I needed to know in January, right? So you need to do your projections so that I can recruit them because they're going to be looking in in February, March, and April. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Um, no, I'm not talking about okay. the hiring process. I'm talking about, you know, an organization who, you know, recruitment, you know, working with one organization who, you know, when positions comes open, they'll send it to other employees. And, you know, because maybe they know somebody, they'll put mm -hmm. it up on some of the job boards and you're going to get whoever you get. You know, it's not really targeted. Um, and then you want to develop the whole process of of how you're going to deal with candidates. How many stages? What are you actually looking for in each stage? And then once you choose the right candidate, how do you onboard them? Now, that's a process which is going to take, you know, from looking for that person to getting them on board. That's well over 12 months you know, if you're going to do it correctly. But most organizations, if we said, this is the process, you're starting tomorrow, they'll go, we can't start tomorrow. We have no idea what we're doing. You know, so how long is it going to take to set up the process where we now have a system which is set up that from, we start looking from day one, when we start looking for a candidate until we've gone through the entire hiring process and we've onboarded them you know, that's going to take over a year, but how long is it going to take to actually work with my current employees and potentially bring in someone like an IO to actually develop the system? Because I don't feel like I could start with, you know, design thinking tomorrow because I don't know any design thinking people. So first of all, I'm going to have to recruit one of those. <laughs> so, so how long would it take an organization to set up a system so that when they're hiring, that employee meets their expectations or even surpasses them because the design system is so well thought out. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you want to know what, like somebody who's maybe 10 employees and they want to get a system in place, right? Because they, it's just been, who do you know? And do they want to work here kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so how long to get that, you know, because you, you're asking people to change behavior, right? Yeah. So you're I, and you and my ex experience is that it's best to do it at the teachable moment time. 
right? It's fine to walk in and do, I say, I have this outline for you and to assist it, and here's a way of process and whatever, but it doesn't get integrated and it doesn't mean anything until I serve the need that they have right then and say, here, use this tool, here, do this, and keep that give them the documentation as they need it. It make, makes more um, sense for them. And so I would say probably a six-month process. Nice. See, I can manage that. I can handle that. And that works for me. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, we are out of time, but we do have a couple of hands still up. Oh, one just went down. Um, Matthew, if you want to put your hand back up. Okay, yeah, we'll do time. Um, Manny, let's go to you quickly. Matthew, I was only staying up because I thought you were with me on this one. <laughs> but how long is it going to take? You say it can take one year for organizations, but if you have an I.O. in place, that's like, um, you know, a walkover for an I.O. because we are just like a cocktail of everything. You know, we have the scientific end of us. We also have a little bit tapped in into human behavior. So we'll know how to bring everything together and design this. Because when I look at group thinking uh, stages, empathy, defining, ideating, you know, prototype, test, and then implement, this is everything that an I.O. has as a a person. So if you had an I.O. person in place as an organization, it would just take a walkover. They will know exactly what to do, how to, to diagnose, how to, and then to, you know, to really come up with, um, how to read the data and evaluate it and then implement for you within a short time or period. Because you as a person, you're going to be blink and you're going to think it's a long process. That's okay. That's why you have me as an IO psychologist in your organization. I'm just saying. Thank you. I think you're saying well. Let's go to you, Matthew. Tom, your question, how long will it take? If you want to learn to ride a bike, I can write you a, a detailed instruction, give it to you and walk away. Or I can continue to work with you a little bit at a time and get you to a point where you're riding on your own and you don't need me there. So how long is it going to take? Well, how much time are you willing to put into it? Because as Linda Ann said, it's all about behavior changes. And I can write you a prescription, but if you're not changing your behavior, I'll see you again in a few months. Yeah, as I've often said, if you've got a top-rate HR professional in your organization, you need to get an I.O. who's top-rate to work with them side-by-side. Uh, <laughs> Linda Ann, um, <laughs> a great topic today. Um, you know, We were wondering how this conversation was going to go. It went well. Um, so any final thoughts that you'd like to add to this? There we go. I'd like to thank everybody for really staying on topic and re- coming back to the structure and really addressing um, uh, the content. So. Um, I appreciate everybody's participation. If we can get, um, is it Itzel to do yeah. a, a, a quick close? We can... Itzel, go ahead. Hi, everyone. Uh, can you guys hear me? We can. Okay, wonderful. This is my first time being in this conversation, and I wanted to say thank you for everything. Um, I just kind of take a couple of takeaways that I got from the call. I'm an IO site PhD student. Um, and how I really got involved into um, recruiting and staffing was in my role um, as a corporate director of career services. Interestingly, um, I was actually involved in a lot of the hiring and onboarding for um, the career services staff across seven campuses. So it was very, very interesting um, position in that, you know, I think there's a lot of things at play when you want. Oh, well, there you go have to have a good HR person solid. I think the culture has to be in place. I think the COOs, the CEOs have to be, you know, really invested in wanting to make those changes. 
Um, you know, I ran into a couple of challenges with that because I would train the person because I knew the role directly, specifically what what it takes the person. And I was also developing the employees over time, actually doing the 30 day, the 90 day, um, which essentially was the HR person's job to do. But she did not want to be involved. Um, and I found it very <laughs> I found it actually very gratifying. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the, the building people. I enjoy when people are fully equipped to know how to do their jobs and really want to stay. Um, but it's extremely helpful when you have other departments that work together and really are involved in that dynamic of retaining employees, ensuring that, hey, they're going to want to stay. They want to be involved. So I think it goes hand in hand. And definitely the companies themselves have to be invested in wanting to create that culture of changing those processes. I agree with you a hundred percent. And and I, I don't think I've ever met an IO who doesn't have empathy. I have <laughs> met a few HR people who do not have empathy. <laughs> Sorry, Lindan. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Guys, I would just like to say Alexander doesn't have empathy, as in for real, for real. <laughs> Alexander, I'm, I'm sorry for selling you out, friend. <laughs> I think we got ourselves into trouble here. Um, <laughs> and so just a few reminders here, uh, CPOC, if you are in New England, Northeast U.S. region, there's an IO Psychology virtual meetup. That's on November 9th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we will be back on November 13th with IO Psychology Job uh, Seekers Meetup. So if you're an IO looking for uh, some change in your career, you're going to want to get involved with that. From Perks to Purpose, Navigating the Evolution of Employee Motivation, yay, yay, yay. Uh, that's coming up on November 16th. Once again, that is at 12 noon, part of our work cookie presentation. So once again, thank you to everyone for speaking up and joining us today. If you are listening to the Work Cookie podcast, please do make an effort and join us here at uh, 12 noon Eastern time um, every Thursday and share your voice with the rest of the organization, the rest of the group, and let's get your voice out there as well. So once again, thank you much, very much, Linda Ann, for leading us today. And if you want to count us out, we'll see everyone in one week's time. Thank you, everyone. Three, two, one.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.